welcome to the Long Take Review, a film podcast with one eye always on the Oscars. I'm your host, Jen Subchakchai Bankard, and I have to say, it's good to have friends because I'm here with two great ones to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which just came out in theaters this past weekend. Uh, I've got a special guest, Colby Mead of the Colby Cast, which is one of my favorite pop culture podcasts. Uh, how's it going, Colby? I'm so excited to be here, Jen. I thank you so much for having me. You're doing a great job uh, with this podcast. I love listening to it, and and I'm so excited that I'm I have an opportunity to be here. Thank you. I'm I'm so glad that you can be here because I feel like oftentimes it's me listening to the Colby cast, and occasionally I get a really generous shout out, and I get really excited in my car, but I'm by <laughs> myself. So now we're all together, and it's really great. Um, I also have with me a more frequent co-pilot. The Groot to my rocket, P.T. McDiff. How are you doing, P.T.? On your word, Captain. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm also uh, happy and excited to be here. This takes me back to the times uh, I've listened to uh, the two of you talk on a podcast, and I wanted to interject, and now I'll have a chance to do so. You must be talking about the She-Hulk episode. I believe that's correct, yes. Right? That's that's the main Marvel conversation I think we've had on air, so... Um, which was great. It was an all-timer. Oh, that's one of my favorite episodes of the Colby cast. Uh, <laughs> and I can't wait for the the sequel to that because I haven't forgotten. I'm just waiting for some information about Loki season two because it's going to be Jen versus Dan round two because <laughs> uh, we have some polar opposite opinions apparently on, on Loki season one. So I'm just waiting. I'm biding my time and I'm going to and I'm going to bring that out for everybody as soon as I have a chance. Yeah, that was really funny. I think Dan, uh, Dan Z, who hosts Coffee with Kenobi, I think was not prepared for my antagonism <laughs> to be like, you know, <laughs> we, we disagree on this. Let's talk about it. And so, yeah, I'm glad that we 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 shelved that conversation for a future date. All right. So I think if you're tuning in for our review episode uh, for the re- first time and you haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You don't have to run away. You can listen safely for the first section of our conversation, which is going to be geared for folks who haven't seen the film yet. And after that point, when we can't hold on any longer, we're going to clearly announce that we're heading into spoiler territory. So that's kind of the the format we're going to use. So if you are haven't gotten a chance to see the the film yet, but you want to hear kind of our general impressions without spoilers, you know, we have we have that here for you. But first, we want to do a really quick movie news check in. Um, so. PT and Colby, have you heard any news in the movie world, seen any new movies or seen any new trailers recently? Well, uh, I mean, the big news continues to be the Writers Guild strike, which is continuing apace with no real uh, end in sight, I guess. Uh, Hopefully that changes and the people who deserve compensation for their work get compensation for their work. Um, In terms of movie news, uh, the big thing that I I saw that I am both excited and nervous about is uh, sort of official announcement of Beetlejuice 2, uh, which is starting to film next week and is coming out in the fall of 2024. Uh, It's it's happening. Tim Burton's directing it. Michael Keaton's in it. Um, The uh, woman who played Wednesday... Uh, whose last name is Ortega, whose first name I cannot remember. Jenna Ortega. Jenna Ortega, thank you. Um, It will be in it. uh, uh, Unclear exactly who she is, but uh, 
you know, these legacy sequels are always dicey because I think it could be not good. Uh, but uh, I would, it's a world I would love to revisit and I would love for both Michael Keaton and Tim Burton to be able to bring that magic back. That sounds fantastic. And I, I, I loved Wednesday and especially, I mean, Jenna Ortega as Wednesday is by far the best part about that show. Um, so I'm really, really excited to, to, see her do more tim burton have either one of you seen any of the scream movies with uh with her in it i'm not a big horror fan so i don't know but i i hear she does a great job in those two i i was just gonna say we just watched the most recent one even though we hadn't seen the one before it because it was just like one of the new movies on i think peacock and so we just threw it on and i it was it, it, the screen movies are very fun this continues to be a, a a fun installment if you don't like horror movies they're certainly like it's not like, watch it anyway. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, she's great. Uh, she's great. And uh, very different. Like She's a regular college-aged girl uh, in those movies, uh, very different from her Wednesday persona. So um, if there was any concern by anyone who just had seen Wednesday, that that was sort of the only window she had. Um, she's really good. I feel like I have to mention this at least once a podcast is like a, on our bingo card where I'm a total scaredy cat when it comes to horror. So I believe I saw the first Scream movie when it came out in theaters. I was probably going to guess I was in high school or something like that and never again. So, <laughs> But then by default, is that your answer to the question? What's your favorite scary movie? Because it's the only one you've seen. Only, well, no, I've seen other scary movies. Okay. I've made I've made other mistakes. It's just like I Scream One was a known quantity where I was like I guess that this I get this is making fun of the genre, which is why I think I tricked myself into wanting to go see it because it was sort of like it's like a spoof of of horror as well as like a straight right if I remember. Yeah. And so that is what lulled me into a sense of false sense of security. And then I was like, no, there's still legit jump scares and slasher scenes in this, and like no, no thanks. <laughs> well, that's one more Scream movie than I've seen, so you've got me beat on that, Jen. Nice. Okay. <laughs> To go back to the the writer strike, the news that relates to Marvel, right? Since we're talking about Marvel today, uh, Blade, the Mahershala Ali, the name of the true detective showrunner, whose name I want to say is Piccolo, and it's not. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like Pizzoletto, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes, that that's been shut down because of the writer strike. Uh, so I'm starting to be like, is this is this ever going to happen? Because I feel like in the before the writer strike, we had other news murmurs of like, oh, they're looking for the right showrunner. Oh, they're looking for the right script. Like Mahershala Lee is in, he's out. So I feel like I'm just very nervous about that actually coming to fruition. <laughs> Movies that have these kinds this kind of drama in the pre-production, they don't have a good track record, right? Of actually being made. So you think your fear is very much justified. And now this, right? This is the one thing that nobody counted on is this is going to shut down Blade of all things. Uh, uh, so yeah, I... We'll see. I, I hope so because it's such a potentially such a cool character, and Marshall Ali is is amazing. Um, so keeping our fingers crossed. I don't know. You know, I don't follow a ton of this kind of news, but even this is hitting my radar because of how big it is, and it just seems like a very bleak situation. Once you get into these labor situations, if they're not resolved in like a week or two weeks then you're starting to look like, yeah, this is going to draw itself out. And one of the things I found really interesting about the conversation and basically people trying to get information out about this is how important rewrites on the days of shooting 
has has become mm-hmm. and is. Um, I didn't know that that was a thing, but it makes total and perfect sense. And the example that I uh, that I saw all over the place really is um, Quantum of Solace. And what a disappointment of a movie that was compared to Casino Royale and how it went into production after the writer's strike and they just sort of shot it as the scripts were were written and they had no writers there to change. And boy, that makes a lot of sense to my brain um, and sort of makes me a little nervous like you, Jen, about Blade, but about like House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon is supposedly going to go forward with filming because they have scripts. So now I'm sitting here thinking about, well, what about the rewrites? And I didn't even know this was a thing two weeks ago, right? <laughs> this really ties in well with uh, the the work that Jen and I do in our day jobs of teaching students. You got you to gotta revise. It's not just getting something down on the page. You got to hone it. You got to do the process of, of making sure that it's clear and it's yeah, I mean, uh, in the same way that it's bad when students just like dash off our first draft and turn that in as a paper, probably bad if they're filming the first draft of House of the Dragon or uh, even like an Andor season two, uh, which I mean, I, I trust Tony Gilroy knows what he's doing, but would love it if they would be able to tweak it and rewrite it now that they're they're like in the final stages of filming it. So uh, yeah, I think that is a real concern that... Um, you know, there's there's shows at that last writer strike. I also have always sort of thought of Quantum of Solace as I think I think this has come up. This came up last time um, as one of the examples. Um, and uh, the other one is Breaking Bad. The first season just ends after seven episodes because they were like, that's all we wrote. Oh, like wow. we didn't have we hadn't written the rest of it. So we just had to cut it off there. It was supposed to be 10 or 13 episodes. And, uh, you know, the kind of, which, I mean, in that case, ended up being good because the end of that first season was going to be killing one of the characters that stayed for the whole uh, uh, the whole run. I won't, I won't get into Breaking Bad spoilers. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, don't be like Madison on She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> just spoiling stuff left just and right. Just dropping, oh my God. Dro- dropping oh. major t- prestige TV spoilers. Maybe the best bit of maybe the best Marvel show. Yeah, it's so good. I love her. Madison and Wong forever. Yes, forever. Yeah, so I, the, I, yeah, I've been learning a lot more about how the, the, especially the television industry, but more kind of streaming services at large, which it, like would be inclusive of television and film. The idea is that residuals are no longer a part of sort of contracts, and we saw this again to tie back into Marvel. We saw this with Scarlett Johansson with Black mm-hmm. Widow, right? She made a rightly so made a big fuss about this is going straight to streaming because it was during the pandemic. Right. And, and where are the theatrical, like, like, like just the, the way that that actors or writers would get compensated radically changes once it's like a streaming situation versus like the traditional models that we had before streaming. So um, that's a really interesting thing about, it. I've actually had a couple students write who are in the USC film school, like write uh, some really, really amazing papers about, particularly Netflix, like everyone seems to hate Netflix (laughs) or blame Netflix for a lot of things where it's like, they're the ones who decided to be like, we don't need to give people residuals. Like let's just pay people a ton of money up front. And then they don't get anything on the back end, quote unquote, the back end. Meaning like, you know, traditionally it would be if you wrote a show, if that show was on reruns on network television, you'd keep getting paid every time it aired. Right. But now that things are on streaming, they basically just get paid up front and then they do all the work up front and then they I, they don't get invited to the set. 
because that costs too much money. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they don't like, that's, that's the end of the relationship with the show. Right. Like they, that's the, in terms of financials, like they don't, they don't get anything after that. So yeah, it's been really interesting learning about this and putting everything in the context of streaming and how it really is kind of like the consumer end has shifted over in largely a positive way, I would say for us, right. Cause we have access to more things more easily, but I guess the, you know, the sort of, economic infrastructure of the film and television industry has not adapted to sort of catch up with that change. So there's also something interesting, not not to have this become the episode about uh, streaming economics, but there's something interesting about how, you know, with film and with, you know, uh, theatrical released film, video rentals and TV ratings, there's some sort of external metric that people can use. There's, you know, there's the Nielsen's, there's, uh, you know, how, you know, the transactions in video stores, uh, transactions in, in cinema box offices. Um, but with Netflix, it's just sort of this weird, like, mystery box where they're just like 800 billion people watched the, watched um, this new movie that came out. And it's like, did they? Uh, and they're like, yeah. And then the writers are like, do I get paid for that? And they're like, no, uh, <laughs> you don't. There's no money for that. Um, so, you know, it's it's a weird, like, like how do you even, you know, I, I don't envy the negotiators who are trying to work this out is how do you even tie that? Is it to subscribers? Is it, you know, do, do they have to sort of open their, their engines a little? And there's, there's been a sort of, I, I don't want to say rumors or, or because that's sources it uh, even more strongly than I think it is, but there's been some just general speculation as studios have started, you know, like Disney started Disney plus Paramount started Paramount plus. Uh, and then the, those companies are just like, we're making no money from this. We're actually losing a lot of money where people are like, is Netflix making money? Like, is this an actual viable business model? Or is this like a, like, you know, uh, Uber, um, when it was, uh, still in that like vast growth stage where it's just this sort of venture capitalist, like idea of like, oh, this is going to be great. And eventually it's going to make so much money that it's okay. We're operating at a loss and maybe they're just operating at these losses that all, and all these numbers aren't real. And then it becomes like, they don't want to expose that. So like, it's almost like even it's possible that even less than wanting to pay writers for their work. Um, they're worried that like the actual sort of machinations of how Netflix works will be exposed. I think it's such an interesting conversation, and I don't want to hijack uh, the episode either about this, but again, this is such a 2023 conversation, right? This is a very 2020s type of subject because of the the the, the massive shift in how we consume entertainment, and I almost feel like streaming is almost now, I feel like there's a bit of a backlash at it towards, I remember growing up, you would watch a TV show from September to May, it would go away, and then it would come back in September until May and then it would go away. But now we're watching TV and it's leaving for three years. And then we get another season maybe down the road, right? And even the way it's consumed, the economics of it, your viewership point is so interesting to me because I always loved looking at the ratings for TV shows. You sort of knew like, oh, I can keep watching this show because a lot of people are watching it. It's not going anywhere, but there's nothing. It's like this, like this, just this gas out in the world. You're trying to grab and it's like you can't there's no way to know so uh, i guess really the the final point i have really for the whole thing is that this is sort of like the wild wild west of how we create stories now no one really knows everybody seems to be making things up as they go along and we'll see what we have this time next year i, I don't know 
Yeah, and to, and to segue us into talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, I would say with Marvel in particular, right, we've already seen them kind of go back and forth where we got the deluge of Disney Plus series, you know, most of which I really loved, and I'm not complaining that we got so many in such a short amount of time, but they have very consciously pumped the brakes, right? There's there's no new show until the end of June. The last one we have what had was probably... Um, I can't even remember now what the last Marvel series that we I got think was. it was She-Hulk, and and then right, we which had, was a very long yeah, time ago. Yeah, it was fall of last year, and then we had a yeah. couple of uh, specials, the special presentations like um, mm. Werewolf by Night and oh, then the right. Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. But right, so we're looking at She-Hulk to Secret Invasion. What is that? Six, eight months. Whereas before we had six, six, eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, they never had any downtime. We just started the next show right after the other. And so it's interesting to look at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in that context, because I think it's almost, to me, like a like sort of a leftover from the bygone era of the MCU, where the movies were sort of king right before the series came, by, came through. But at the same time, I wonder how much this film, because I think it's largely getting very positive reviews, how, like, how much is this film going to give M- the MCU hope of like, oh, we can just like shift back over to movies again right and not rely as much on pumping out a bunch of ser- disney plus series like how- it'll be interesting to see what kind of balance they strike between movies and tv so we- we're here we're talking about guardians of the galaxy volume three and so we want to start with the short take which maybe should be shorter because we spent a long time talking about the writer's strike <laughs> but what what were both of your uh general impressions so we'll start with colby you know you're the- you're one of the few people who's keeps up with the MCU as vigilantly and, and with as much dedication as I do. Uh, so did this, how did this, this land movie land for you? I really liked it. I, I was, I can't, I, I really, really liked it. Um, and there'll be a little bit more context here when we start talking maybe about how it sizes up against other MCU films. I know that we will hopefully we'll get to. Uh, but one thing that I really try hard at is to have zero expectations and I fail miserably most of the time. I just, during phase one of the MCU, I could not stop consuming information about it. I was clicking on all the clickbait articles. I was trying to gobble up everything. Oh my gosh, Thor two has, uh, has hired this writer and it's going to go into production. And I found myself not enjoying the films as much when I was consuming so much of that info. So I cognizantly at that point said, stop, like backtrack a little bit here and go back to being a fan of these movies because you really enjoyed phase one and now phase two is coming along. And even though the sort of the general consensus is that it was a bit of a drop off, I blamed myself more than anything else because I was I just couldn't get enough of it. Um, So I came up with this idea, zero expectations, uh, ride the roller coaster, don't drive the roller coaster and I found myself enjoying things way more that way. So again, I don't always succeed and see phase four comments later in the podcast or (laughs) listen to what I've said on the Colby cast. But um, this one, I felt like I even lowered my expectations because of the trailers. I was preparing myself to be heartbroken, shattered. They have people screaming at unseen things with tears and, angst and anguish and i'm like i don't want this i don't want this i'm gonna go see it but i don't want this um and i'm not gonna spoil anything because we're in the non-spoiler part but uh i was pleasantly surprised that i didn't get that 
So that based alone, the fact that it was funny and upbeat and heartfelt, uh, yes, exceeded my expectations. Um, if that even counts for anything, because I tried to lower them, <laughs> right? So, but I found it to be quite enjoyable. Um, and just, you know, as far as, um, you know, just quick general impressions, it wasn't as heavy as I thought it was going to be. I thought the, of course, the music again was a home run. James Gunn and his music, they just, it, uh, it's so, so good. So good. We'll get more into that, I'm sure. And I really, really, really enjoyed the ending. I thought it was very smart the way that they ended this this movie so that's the tease for the spoiler section if you're listening <laughs> um yeah and i i totally agree with you that that i feel like in a lot of ways the way this film approached the story made it much easier to sort of let go of expectations and just sort of like enjoy the ride for what it was um because it, it didn't really feel like it was trying bending over backwards to plug into other things or anything like that. It really was just really focused on this set of characters, which I really liked. Uh, PT, how about you? So you have said on this podcast, in fact, that you're someone who's not, you've cooled from Marvel, right? You're not, you're not as into the MCU as maybe you once were. So did the, how did this, did this affect that attitude at all? That's a great question. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely in the, uh, you know, not, I, th- I think everyone has a, a, a I don't want to say a limit because that's not fair. Everyone has sort of a, a a zone where they can get in the red and they maybe hit Marvel fatigue. Um, and there's a bunch of people who have not gotten there, even with all the material, and and that's great. Uh, I was I didn't understand the people I knew pre Endgame who hit that point. I was like, this is all great. What are you talking about? Um, and then after Endgame, there was a little bit of like, okay. Uh, and I kind of hit it. We'll, we'll, we can discuss, is that a product of phase four? Is that just a product of the world around phase four um, that maybe made it a little bit harder? But uh, but yeah, I had a blast with this movie. Uh, I was really into it. Very much like Colby, even coming from a different perspective, I had sort of like tempered my expectations, not because I thought that there's some sort of I don't know, like that Marvel can't possibly be good again, but because the trailers really did make it seem like this was going to be very down and dark and and emotional, which is like not what I want from my space friends. Uh, I wanted the guardians to have like, to be fun and quippy and, and, and you do all the stuff that they do in these movies. And they do that while they also have a lot of a sort of emotional weight to it. And to, to answer your question, I weirdly and we can get into this more i'm actually weirdly now more excited for dc movies than i have been in maybe a dozen years um i guess i should say 11 years um because of the james gunn factor um and i'm sort of like oh marvel what did how did you why did this happen um i know why it happened um sadly because i was too online for too long um to be aware of the james gunn shenanigans but uh, yeah, it's, it's that, that's a whole thing that I, I'm sure we will get into. Um, so I'm not like less, uh, uh, excited about Marvel stuff now. You know, I'm, I'm very happy to have had another movie, um, that I really liked. I feel like, and, and we can also discuss and debate this. I, I'm feeling like, I think the guardians trilogy is my favorite trilogy of Marvel movies. So, um, yeah, I, I did really like this. You're not alone. I'll- a lot of people are saying that too. A lot of critics are sort of saying that like, oh, this is sort of solidified. They landed the plane and this is solid- like when we look back on the MCU, 
that this is going to be sort of like much higher than maybe people would have initially expected just based on the first two movies. So, so yeah, I think I, I, I definitely hear you. I kind of want to run back our tape. I don't have it, so I can't I run back our tape from when we talked about the flash trailer and be like, see, I told you so. Right. Like, <laughs> cause you were all like, it's just going to be more of the same Jen. It's going to be more of the same, but yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad this is, I will say James Gunn had nothing to do with the flash. So I'm just going to put that out there. He's he's burdened with the Flash. But he's in charge. He is in charge now. And he okay. loves it. He said the Flash All is right. great. Could I – exactly. That's actually – you took the words right out of my mouth, PT, because I, I've i been on the fence about the whole Flash thing too. Uh, and then I started seeing these trailers and so I started getting a little excited and a little more excited. And then CinemaCon happened and then all this hyperbole is exploding all around this movie. And then I'm like – what does James Gunn have to say about this? And knowing that he has to sell this DCU that he's coming up with, but at the same time, knowing that he seems to be pretty genuine in his communication through his Twitter account of all things. And he comes out and says, yeah, I I love this movie. This is a great movie. I'm like, okay, James Gunn, I do too. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing too, is his credibility is on the line. So if he's like, just, just sort of like saying that it's good when he doesn't really Mm -hmm. believe it, that's going to, you know, he should be, I would like to think he's smart enough and savvy enough to know that that's going to come back to bite him. Especially when he's getting ready to kick off this DCU, he doesn't want to start it on that note. So he is in a sense, putting his neck out there, sticking his neck out. Uh, So yes, I will revert back to my, I am so excited about the flash. (laughs) <laughs> I I mean uh, yeah I'll just say I don't recall James Gunn talking about how much he loves Shazam too. Uh, maybe he did in passing at one point, but it was uh, uh, you know it, it it's been a pretty constant thing that he's like no no the Flash even though I'm basically you know not going ahead with all of this this is still really good so I'm I want it I want it to be good I, I want to believe all right my my short take on Guardians Volume Three is I mean I I loved it I thought it was great. I, it, I, it took me on, I, I knew I had to kind of brace myself emotionally, sort of like Kobe was saying, just based on the trailer. And I actually still, I will, I will kind of slightly disagree where like, I was, my, my heart went through the rigor with this movie. I was crying constantly. <laughs> like it was in a, but in a good cathartic kind of nice way. And maybe that's sort of what we're referring to um, without getting into spoilers. But, but I do think if I had one complaint or critique it would be that they just tried to cram to, and this is a very common critique of a lot of Marvel films that in the third act, you know, when the action starts to ramp up and it gets kind of to the, the, the big finale that they just tried to cram too much. There was too many things, too many pieces kind of moving too many things going on. And, you know, luckily for me, the, the sort of character arcs and the character beats were really grounded all of it. So like, I think compared to other Marvel movies, uh, but you know, I'm here for, for baby rocket all day long. <laughs> yes. I, I, I will just say, uh, while we're still in the non-spoiler territory, I, I agree with that, that the sort of overstuffedness of it is uh, the, the biggest negative, uh, which 
in the grand scheme, isn't that big of a negative. Um, and it's partly the sort of act three of the movie problem, but I think it's also the sort of third movie in a trilogy when a bunch of the creatives are leaving where they're like, okay, okay, we got to do all of these things. And um, it had that feel of, oh, they probably had like one and a half movies worth of stuff to do. Um, but they were like, we're, you know, we, everyone's only signed for this movie. So we're doing all of this. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think that it, worked you know more than it than it didn't um but that was you know the there was some sort of tearing at the seams a little um with from the overstuffedness i feel like this is a this is a critique that comes up quite a bit right i mean this is this is a more common critique especially for genre films and comic book movies and stuff that these overstuffed third acts you guys brought up a, a really good point during your conversation about john wick four that at one point it, there i and i remembered i was like pointing at my computer going yes yes i remember that where they were planning a four and five and then all of a sudden five got i maybe maybe it got consumed by the pandemic i don't know why there's no five but then all of a sudden they're like well let's take these cool things from five and put it into four so i could see exactly what you're talking about with the third act of this movie that if James Gunn was going to be around for another iteration of this, then he had things he wanted to do there, but that's not going to happen. So let's get them here now. But even apart from that, it just seems like these third third acts of movies for these big genre films, it seems like this is coming up over and over again. And I wonder if people are going to start learning from that. If that's the big weakness, imagine, you know, the reaction and the money you're going to make if you slam dunk your third act. And it's as simple as that. I would I would agree. So we usually like to round out the spoiler free section with what I call the recommendation algorithm, right? <laughs> After we just like <laughs> bagged on Netflix for 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm now borrowing their 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 terminology. Because this is a Marvel movie and, you know, it's very clear who these movies are intended for, right? Fans of fans of other Marvel movies, fans of comic book movies, genre films, whatever, right? But I guess within that subset, who are we recommending this movie to? Like, is it for all Marvel fans? Is a certain type of Marvel fan going to be happier with this movie than the other? I mean, this is obvious, but certainly I would say the people who have liked the first two Guardians of the Galaxy movies, um, which maybe that seems pretty basic, but I think there may be some people who are either they've hit the wall on Marvel, they're sort of like, I'm out on this, uh, or maybe the trailers made them think like, ah, this is going to be a more serious, like, you know, now that it's after Infinity War and Endgame, like, they're going to do a more serious story. And they're, to to agree with what Jen said, there are many heart-wrenching and emotional things, but I will also note, like, I cried multiple times watching the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie when it came out, like, in the, the that, like, you know, in the in a big IMAX theater. Uh, so I've always found there's, like, an emotional core in these movies, which is why I, I like them so much. So yeah, I think that uh, those people and the people who maybe are I'm a little like gun shy um, should certainly see it. And I think really anyone who uh, is into big space fantasy, even if they are off on Marvel, um, you know, this, the, the connections to the larger Marvel uh, world are very minor. Um, so if, you know, they're like, I don't like superheroes, but you know, I, I you know, I like, you know, space fantasy. Um, I think that they should get on board. Did you mean James Gunshy? <laughs> oh no. I did not. Sorry, I couldn't no, help myself. 
That totally do that. That I did not need to say that at it. all, but I couldn't help it. Um, Colby, what are your thoughts? Sort of like what? What? How does this fit into the fandom of Marvel? I think it's the million dollar question, and I'm not even sure Marvel knows. Uh, this is this is where I'm at a lot with Marvel movies, and you know, I don't um, I don't read comic books. I really haven't over my life read comic books, and there's really one reason: I'm scared of them. I don't know where to start. There's this, I just look at this big, immense universe of, in some cases, we're getting close to 100 years of storytelling, right? And I don't know what Spider-Man version of this is, and I don't know why is Captain America like that, and what happened, how many, how come there's 16 Batmans, and and this and that, I don't, I'm just scared of that, and I just wonder if at the for the casual fan, the casual moviegoer that's out there, or maybe the youngster that maybe hasn't been a part of the Marvel universe that is now like, Oh, all my friends are going to see gardens of the galaxy or maybe my, my cousins or something, but hasn't seen this. It's like the entry yeah. point. Where is it? Where's the entry point? Um, but you know, that's what we have now. That's what we have after 15 years plus of storytelling with these movies. Um, I'm pretty sure. So I almost wonder like, is it now just a thing where Marvel fans are now going to see, of course, they're going to see the newest Marvel thing. And maybe they take a friend or two and can answer and fill in some blanks. I have family members that aren't as invested in this as I am. And, and I constantly, uh, I'm like, wait a minute, you went to go see the newest, but you hadn't seen Endgame. You haven't seen, you haven't seen any of the Disney plus stuff. You won't understand any of this. Do you need help? I want to hug you and give you some help. Do you want, do you want me to answer some questions? So, you know, it's, I really don't know the answer. And when I saw this on our outline, I, this was the the question I struggled the most with. And I found myself all of a sudden looking up worldwide box office totals. And I don't even know, know why I'm like, well, (laughs) what I came. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. No, no, it's okay. It was actually quite fun and informative. What I came up with was, I think it goes back to what it always goes back to. Who's, what is the appeal? Is it a good story? Do we have compelling characters? Is it sort of becoming its own thing, like in the zeitgeist, right? And that's when you start bringing people in. And I guess that can be an entry point for some uh, if they haven't, you know, if they're not caught up. And then it can be a big celebration for us invested people. But I just think that this movie has that, right? It has the good character. It has the good story. It has the appealing soundtrack. Um, so I think that it, it could be marketed and appealing to a wide variety of people. I think I just talked for like four minutes and didn't say anything. But that's why you have me on. <laughs> I, I I think I think you were saying you were saying good things in there, and I, I and I agree because I think that's the one thing that I, I didn't think to say in the short take, even though it was in sort of my notes about it, is that a, a person who may like this is also just someone who likes smart storytelling. I think a lot of really smart choices are made in this about you know we, we we've been saying oh there's you know there's character beats, there's character moments, there's arcs, the story makes. You know, it, it it's all underpinning it, and them that merely existing is is already like clearing a bar, um, for better or for worse. But I think that like there's really smart choices. Like it's not just like yeah. that there are choices, but I think it's done really well. And so I think that there may be people who are, you know, not necessarily into the trappings of uh, sci-fi or of fantasy or of Marvel, um, who could just enjoy this. And I think you know, um, not to 
give away a future topic. You might be able to just jump in now if you just want to go see a movie in the theater. It, it obviously makes more sense if you've seen the other movies. But uh, I think that just within this narrative, you get enough information of where everyone is to start for the payoffs to work for you. Yeah, and so the the question in our outline that PT is referring to is, you know, do what kind of homework do people need to do before they see this movie? I I agree that at the you know I think the ideal situation is you watched the first two Guardians movies and then this one. I do think there's enough references to the holiday special though that like if you have time to add that in, I feel like that would be really helpful just because like. You know, and, and part of that is because of the production circumstances. Like they shot the holiday special while they were filming this movie, so like visually everything is very like there's a little continuity there. But then also just like where all the characters are at, I feel like is very like like the holiday special on Disney Plus is closer to this movie than the mm-hmm. other two. Yes, yes. In terms of like where the characters are and where the story is and stuff like that, so I feel like from that point alone, like that it would just enrich your viewing of it um but yeah what does anyone else have any thoughts about about that of like what would what are you recommending but i do agree that like someone who has not really been that in on marvel or has not seen everything you could just sort of pick the guardians thread of the mcu and just point them there and i think they would have a great time i i agree with you jen about the holiday special i was pleasantly surprised at how informed this movie was by it and i really i think it's the first film and I mean, maybe parts of Doctor Strange, but it's the first film that has been that informed by a Disney Plus presentation. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm referring to Doctor Strange because of that one scene with Wanda that was a post credit scene from WandaVision um, because in- they pretty much entirely threw the rest of the series out with her portrayal in that movie. But I've been waiting and waiting. Don't get me I started. know, I know. <laughs> I've been waiting and waiting since Netflix Daredevil for and and um, what's the uh, the TV show with Coulson, uh, Agents of Shield, waiting for things to pop up in the movies that we first saw in TV shows, and really in a meaningful way, this is the first one. So I'm super excited about that. The only other thing that I would bring up about recommending for another person to watch if they haven't seen anything is this wonderful little thing that Marvel does on Disney Plus called Marvel Legends, which is sort of like a highlight reel for every character that's about to come out in a movie or maybe even a Disney Plus show. And I really wish Star Wars had a version of this because I would mm-hmm. watch it all day long. I just want to see you know cool, cool, cool little profiles on Star Wars characters. I just keep it on a loop. But I think it's such a you just have it in the background. It's a smart, smart thing to do because it does give you the characters you need, and it gives you a thorough understanding. You know, you know uh, what are they called? Cliff's Notes style of wh- what you need to know going into this upcoming movie. So, um, Lucasfilm, if you're listening, which I know at some point you will be, if not already, make something like that for Star Wars. Seconded. I love your delusions of grandeur. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's amazing. Yeah, I I I agree because I yeah I think with Star Wars. And again, this has high risk with the three of us to be derailed into a Star Wars conversation. But with Star Wars, that they do those curated episode batches, yeah. right? Where they're like, here are all the Ahsoka episodes. Here's the Mandalore arcs from the Clone Wars, right? But yeah, I feel like that's that is a still a has kind of a barrier to entry because that's all just a lot of time. Yeah. And so the what's nice about the little Marvel Legends things is it's like you it's like the the length of a YouTube yeah. video, basically. You can just kind of get in and get out, get what you need. I find those helpful just as someone who's seen everything, but maybe it's been a minute since I've seen some of the things. Cause I'll be like, Oh, right. That's right. That like, 
you know, Black Widow did interrogate Loki in that movie, you know, like, like things that I for- totally forgot about. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I would second that as well. Yeah. Um, the, the only thing I'll add, and this is maybe um, uh, obvious to the people who watch uh, the, the MCU uh, more generally, but um, the Guardians of the Galaxy characters do appear in scenes in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. Uh, I, I believe, if I've heard correctly, those scenes are also written. I don't know about directed, but written by James Gunn. Um, so it's kept in their voice. It's sort of his like you know take still on what's happening. Uh, those movies are pretty good. So if you were thinking of maybe, you know, getting involved, even if it's just to follow the thread uh, of, of what happens, um, I, I would have to assume some fan has made a super cut online of just guardian stuff, but um, you know, it, it is an extra, what, like six hours, five and a half, six hours of movie watching. So it's not required. I do think that there's, you know, discussion between the holiday special um, which I concur with everything you're both saying uh, about that being, you know, uh, certainly on the list. Uh, but between the holiday special and this movie, they do sort of ex- talk through and sort of have little exposition moments of what happened. Um, but it's pr- it's pretty wild the jump between uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, which even though it came out a few years later, is set like only a couple months after the first movie, um, and then a you know almost a decade will have gone by, maybe more. I think it maybe was more than a decade in universe um, between volume two and volume three. So um, you know, actually experiencing some of that might be worthwhile if there are people who somehow haven't seen Avengers, but maybe would because they want homework for volume three. Um, then uh, you know that's that's certainly something to put on the table. All right. I think that was sufficiently helpful and cryptic. Um, so I think we'll we'll shift over to spoiler mode now. So if you have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and we talked a lot about, we mentioned a lot of different things just now, but if you have not seen Volume 3 specifically, we are about to go into full spoiler mode with it and talk about all the things that happened in it including some very surprising things. And so, you know, if that's if that's not what you're interested in, if you're not ready for that at this point, I'm going to count down from three, and then whatever happens after that is, is on you. So three, two, one. Now we're in spoiler mode. Um, and, and sort of similar to our John Wick conversation, I realize, I guess I like going for the juggler with the spoilers when you go into spoiler mode. Um, because on, on our list, I have us starting with, what we I think danced around we all three of us danced around in the in the spoiler free section of the trailer made it look like some there were gonna be some deaths and some casualties because this is the last movie and there weren't they all survived <laughs> so so how did that land for you I mean were you how surprised by that were you do you think that works in terms of the story in terms of where they're leaving the the this thread of the MCU I was so pleasantly surprised. I have to tell you, I, I didn't need to see any of these people die. I'm I after <laughs> after Endgame and all the heaviness of the post Endgame Phase Four that we managed our way through. Um, I was happy that Ant Man and you know uh, and the Wasp Quantumania was more lighthearted than I thought it was going to be. That was another movie that they sort of started building up as being this heavy, and it did have its heavy moments, but it wasn't as heavy as I thought it was going to be. Same with this. I don't think. You have to kill characters. I think it's actually a cheap way to draw out people's emotions. And I think it's way more creative when you're able to find uh, an ending or maybe uh, a transition for a character. 
when it doesn't involve their death. It's more creative because, hey, look, in real life, we have people that come and go in our lives all the time, and death is not the reason why, right? Somebody moves away. Somebody gets a new job. Um, sadly, a relationship ends or something like that. So when you're able to pick and choose those good reasons and still have the poignancy of people saying goodbye to each other, but it doesn't have to go to the easy get-out-of-jail-free card death, I give James Gunn tons of credit for that because I thought that everywhere these characters ended up makes a lot of sense for each one of them. And it was emotional and it was poignant and it was wonderful and you didn't have to kill anybody. And I was so happy about it. Um, No one had to die. die. (laughs) Except for that whole planet of people um, who got, good point. Uh, But no, I, I fully agree. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't even like, I wasn't mad at the, at the thought that like, oh, they're going to, you know, some of these characters won't make it. Um, but the, you know, that I think really wasn't the only thing I was referring to when I said the sort of good choices um, of how they did it. But I think that it was getting to some of the, that more nuanced, harder things of, you know, the group breaks up at the end, but not because of people die and not because of animosity or, or, you know, hatred or civil war or anything like that. It's just sort of like, you know, the time for this is done. We all have to go off and do our own things because we need to do the things that we need to do um, for reasons that have, you know, make total sense and and click in uh, in place because of the events of what happened in this movie and to a degree, you know, the previous movies as well. Um, so I thought that that was great. The only like drawback thing I would say is I like, because of that, I would say, I don't know if I like that they had like multiple fake out moments of just sort of like, and this is the moment when Drax is going to die. Just kidding. He's fine. This is the moment when rocket goes to heaven. Just kidding. He's fine. This is the moment that star Lord blows up in space and it's all like, whatever, I don't know, whatever. No, Warlock saved him. He's fine. Um, and so, you know, I, I get it and, you know, play with expectations, the tension of it. I don't, I don't know how that all will feel on, on rewatches, but with the sort of, um, and I respect Colby's desire to stay away from any like behind the scenes stuff or like not get too deep into the weeds on this, but you know, the general knowledge uh, um, and it, to me, or at least knowledge that I had going into it um, as someone who has not been doggedly following the MCU or the production um, is, you know, James Gunn's not going to be back. He's going to another company. Chris Pratt has a bunch of other things going on, like is probably not going to want to keep doing this. His contract is up. Uh, multiple actors, uh, uh, Zoe Saldana and Dave Bautista have said, you know, this is it for me and the character. Um, so it's sort of just like, okay, like you went in being like these people are done. Like are, are the, and then the, the marketing did make it seem like, oh, these characters are done. So, you know, I see how the fake outs work in that context. I wonder how they'll look three years from now when all that's in the past and you're just watching the movie. And it's like, maybe we didn't need to spend three minutes of Drax being shot in the back when like, he's just going to be walk away and be fine. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy they all lived and I really like the story choices around them. Yeah. For me, it depended on which character had the fake out. Cause I think they had, diff- they kind of landed differently for me. So rocket, I think was brilliantly done because by having the sort of like, you know, he- heaven mind palace sort of situation, 
that signals to me just based on kind of like other movies I've seen and sort of the visual, like to quote PT, the visual language of cinema. Like it's like, he's, he's in that kind of purgatory, like at the gates, but he's, he, and it could go either way. So like, I think I was sort of like, Oh, I am kind of in suspense about how this is going to go, but I know that there are options, right? Like I know, like I know this could very easily be the not yet, which is what we got. Right. And, um, or he could cross over or whatever. Whereas with star Lord's thing, I feel like it was too much a means to an end of a joke that I thought it really kind of undermined the tone, like just the, 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 it's like, you can't, to me, I was like, you can't have it both ways. You can't, like make us actually think that he died because that for a split second they were like oh he's frozen oh he's done right like that's it but then it keeps going and his face gets all contorted and bloated and then it seems like that they only did all of that just so he could be like didn't that look cool and she's like yeah sure and i was like well just tonally those two things don't match and like we can't really i i I couldn't really handle both of those in quick succession so so yeah it really kind of just depended i was like really like 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 yeah that that was the one where i was like okay fine (laughs) like i guess you're having your fun whatever but but yeah i would agree that in general i did not resent that no one died because i feel like there are some situations where i'm like this is going to if you take back this death or fake us out, it will lessen the impact of the emotional impact of the moment where we thought that they were dying. And it almost is like a cheap, cheap move to be like, just kidding. But I feel like for some reason, I didn't feel that way for the most part with this movie where I was like, because it brought us to the brink, the emotional brink, and then kind of walked us back to a more hopeful place. So maybe that's what, that's why I didn't mind. Yeah. uh, To be clear, I don't think it's like, this is a disaster or, or, or like it's some sort of fatal flaw. It was more just sort of like it in a movie that I think worked, I don't know, 96% of the way, like part of that 4% was just like, I, you know, it's already really long. There's already a lot going on. Did we need those? I mean, I, there, there is a defense maybe of the star Lord moment where it's also sort of an Adam Warlock character moment of he's learning to help these people. Like he's seeing, he has seen them help others and so he's like i will help um as well um but yeah i don't know if it if it was worth the sort of build up that uh that it got again my, my nitpick minor nitpick but it's an honest nitpick and i'm there with you too because i i can tell you i sort of i i rolled my eyes at that at the whole i don't know it's just like sort of um did James Gunn do this just because of the phrase that's out there? Uh, you know, fat Pratt, you know, have you guys have heard the fat Pratt from his, uh, from his mm-hmm. old comedy days? Like why that's too much. Like I, first of all, I was like, you're going back for the zoom buddy. You haven't uploaded that stuff to your, to your, <laughs> yeah. to some database somewhere. Like it's a digital <laughs> musical player. And, you know, and then I thought to myself, wait a minute, it just kept going and going. And I'm like, this is how you're going to kill star Lord this what what? so it wasn't believable to me for any at any at any point of that scene and then i just thought it got to be a little too silly but that's what you get you can you can cross into that territory with james gunn right because that's his that's him walking the line of his humor uh similar to taika watiti and the whole thor love and thunder thing you can go up to that point and up to that point and then they're like no no no, we're gonna keep going some people eat it up and love it other people are just like, okay, that was a little too much. I agree with both of you on that scene specifically. Yeah, I was, um, I was like, okay, but I'm the I'm the type of person that looks and f- 
I have a very short memory to um to quote Ted Lasso, I'm a goldfish in that in that <laughs> sense of things. So if I see something that I don't really like in a movie, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty easy to please. I'm just gonna keep moving. And there's plenty of great stuff right after that. So I think, yeah, like I think that would have been an easy thing to just forget about. Uh the, the extra thing that confused me as well, because I think going into the into this, I really expected Chris Pratt to have a hard out because I feel like just the morning of the day that I saw the movie, there was a news article where he was like, it said like Chris Pratt will return as star Lord. If it was a very conditional, if the right script comes along or if the right story comes along. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is just him being like, no, really I'm, I'm done. And then the star Lord will return <laughs> thing at the, at the end in the, po- in the post credit scene. I was like, huh? <laughs> like when I thought, huh? Okay. Does that mean, that was a lie when I read that this morning, <laughs> right? Um, or that that he's saying if, but then really he ha- they had already found out something, or like he's just trying to keep his options open. So I just thought that was a really strange choice. And in terms of post credit scene, we, well, earlier I mentioned that the nice thing about this movie actually was kind of like it was unburdened by the the larger MCU and kind of like where the MCU is going. Like I didn't really agonize over or speculate over that too much while I was watching this. I just enjoyed it. But then when it got to Star Lord World Return, I was like, why? <laughs> like, why is this why is this the thing that we're ending on and not something that seems more directly to be feeding into whatever's happening next? Um so yeah, what what did you what did you two make of, of the Star Lord Will Return move? Well, I I I took it to be uh, Chris Pratt has a smart financial sense to know <laughs> that uh let's keep those those paychecks coming uh if and when the time comes. Uh and he does not want to close any doors uh in case uh they, they you know get someone else to voice Mario um and they don't make any more dinosaurs uh in Jurassic World. He's like I'll still have something uh to to line the pockets. Um but you know, I I, I mean I think that that is part of playing off the sort again you know the 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 knowledge uh maybe the meta knowledge of like you know the, the we sort of end with a new new group of guardians um that has formed uh and 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 those exist and the other characters like we've gone off and done other things that he as the star and as you know as the person who um you know maybe has become maybe has become the most famous um out of these movies you, you might expect it to be we're, we're shutting it down so it could be that i also sort of took it as you know the that that last credit scene is um i don't know why people are listening if they haven't seen it but in case they saw the movie but then left before the end of the credits uh it's just him and his grandfather um sitting uh at a small kitchen table uh sort of gossiping about like someone in the, in their neighborhood um and he's like i want to hear like that gossip and the dad's like Ugh. and they're like just you know looking at the he's looking at a newspaper grandfather's looking at a newspaper um and to me like i think there's a way the out if they never do bring the character back he's never back on screen the out of explaining that is he's fully committed. The character is fully committed to being Peter Quill. Now he is a, a human being on earth living with his grandfather. He is not the intergalactic space hero traveler, but like, he's not like, that's not the end of his life. That's not the end of his road. He's not going to stay there forever. When he's had his time with his grandfather, when he's done the sort of growing and learning, he's talked about, you know, learn to swim um, and not just jump from lily pad to lily pad. uh, As they say in the movie, 
he's getting back in the game and he'll be out there. Maybe we won't see that. Maybe that's not going to be Chris Pratt's face on a, on a big screen um, shooting his two guns, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in a Marvel movie, but like, you know, he is going to do that in the future. Um, and so it's that promise um, that without necessarily being a, you know, a James Bond will return pledge of like, we're definitely seeing another movie with him. Hmm. When you're, what you just said made me think maybe this is more opening the door for, recasting an old man peter where which like depending on how much time passes could still be chris pratt if he's like way old like you know i mean like how depending on how long they wait he, he could be of a of the correct age but i feel like if they did something sooner with what you're describing of like he's you know star retired star lord some like someone shows up at his doorstep and then he gets kind of pulled back in when he's like uh, you know he and, and basically like saying the um the danny glover from lethal weapon <laughs> catchphrase that that actually sounds like a pretty fun movie to me <laughs> you've cracked it they 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 faked us up with the announcement that harrison ford is taking over thunderbolt ross he's old star lord um he's multiverse <laughs> old star lord coming in 2025 make that happen no that that was cracked here on the long take podcast you heard it plant here the flag oh these are we're giving these ideas for free apparently <laughs> just just put them out there um uh colby what do, what do you think about this like what do you what do you, do you think star lord it, it is star lord will return not star lord could yeah. return at a later date like i you know first i was i was surprised it didn't say the guardians of the galaxy because clearly at the end of the movie there's still a guardians of the galaxy and it's a pretty cool roster and it's roster of characters i would like to see more of so i was sort of surprised that they didn't do that um was surprised that they just singled out star lord uh there's like there's the real world side of me and then the in story side of me the real world doesn't believe anything to say in any interview ever because you know daisy ridley is going to be ray skywalker again um matt damon played jason Bourne again um michael keaton is going to be batman again You've got these as long if the circumstances and everything lines up properly and they and the truck with their money is big enough when it rolls up to their house, they're gonna play these characters. So, you know, Peter Quill, I mean, I'm um uh Chris Pratt, no matter what the the print says, it would be very smart. I mean, another one, Chris Evans even off of the beach a little bit saying hey you know if there's more star uh, stories for captain america you know he's not dead right so smart smart planning and i think for chris pratt uh and also story-wise now skipping over into that side of my brain um i'm always in favor of keeping characters around and putting them in places where you can pull them off the bench for some reason because if you kill them you have to do one of two things stop telling stories about them or like you said jen previously you have to figure out a way to bring them back out of their death which then cheapens the death for whatever reason that was like can you i don't want to see robert downey jr play iron man again because that was i mean can you find a better ending to his arc for tony stark i mean you can't so the fact that they put him where he is and do i think for one second that peter quill is going to be happy being old pete down the street um no that star lord's still in there and he's going to want to get a little bit of some galaxy hopping at some point and there'll be a good reason for it when that'll be who knows and i'm here for it i just think it's a smart storytelling decision to uh keep him around and then sort of put that tag but i i was a bit surprised that it was him specifically 
it also feels to some degree, and I I don't want to say that this is an, an intentional jabbing at at the audience, but there's so much uh, sort of especially attention paid to those post credit scenes where it's it's like reading the tea leaves and trying to piece together the puzzle of like okay okay what does this mean what's coming next what what are we seeing uh about about the future which sometimes bleeds over into people watching these fran- not just the MCU but franchise movies in general as a sort of uh like if they're just updating the wikipedia entries in their brain of just like this is what happened to this character and then this happened and then this happened and this happened great what's next um and it's just that type of media consumption and so it's it's almost like you're 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 poking those people to be just sort of like yeah yeah this character will return you don't know when you don't know where <laughs> like you don't have that the pieces to that puzzle like you know you thought this guy was off the board you thought the tease was that there's going to be the you know the new guardians guess what it's not figure it out or don't deal with it like i'm james gunn goodbye and like he's off on in another uh, another you know, continuum so uh you know i i think there may be some degree of play there as well the way you described it just made it seem like so much more of a jerk move <laughs> than, than I originally. I mean, thought it is straight. James Gunn and Chris Pratt. Like you know, they're 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 sharp. They've got edge to them. Yeah. My question is: Does Kevin does Kevin Feige know that that, that was going to be there, or was that James Gunn being like, "I'm going to troll all of you guys," and then Kevin Feige screened it and he's just like, "Wait, wait, what? What do you?" <laughs> and and there goes Gunn. Like, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, Cast Crypto the Superdog now. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I think. And, and in general, I'd say that the tone, and I'm not the first person to say this, I'm pretty sure, but like the tone of this movie compared to the other two does seem like it's like dialing up the James Gunness in terms of like how irreverent and kind of how mature, how violent. I feel like it's just like. Be- and a part it feels to me like how someone acts when they know this is their last day on the job, right? Where they're like, they're they're not quite burning bridges, but they're also kind of like having a little fun and letting loose a little. Yeah, bit. Oh, and but beyond that, there is also you know we sort of hinted at it like earlier. There was for for people who may not know, um, who are blissfully unaware of the ongoing uh, uh, churning of online life. Um, there was uh, part of the reason why that this is coming out five years after uh, Endgame is that uh, at one point, James Gunn was fired. Uh, he was fired from this movie or at least taken off of it. Um, and, you know, people went uh, uh, who were um, of, a, of a particular uh, political bent uh, who had particular uh, sort of thoughts in their mind about James Gunn's uh, stances online. And they dug up old tweets that he had uh, done making crass jokes uh, about inappropriate things. Uh, and they were just like, look, this guy's a monster. Like, you can't have him. And Marvel was like, okay, we're taking him off. Um, and everyone in the cast, uh, I'll do credit um, to, to, it felt, it sounds like it was organized by Chris Pratt, um, who also hasn't had the best reputational few years. Um, but, you know, Chris Pratt and everyone in the cast was just like, we're not going to do this unless it's James Gunn. Um, and, you know, Marvel kind of had to come back to him with their tail between their legs after he had gone and agreed to, you know, signed on with DC to do what became the Suicide Squad and then, um, the Peacemaker uh, offshoot show uh, on on HBO or HBO Max um, or The Max or Max, whatever it's called. Uh, and, uh, you know, they were like, okay, okay, like, come, please come back. So it's last day on the job, but also 
we, we've already proven that you can't do this without me. Like the, the other people who need to do, who, you know, are, resp- are required won't do it without me. So like, what are you going to do? Stop me from having like a, a space station made of flesh. Um, like, are you gonna, are you gonna get in the way of that? No. Okay, great. Um, everyone communicates putting their hand in something that looks like urine. Guess what? That's happening. That's happening in my movie. Um, you know, that, and it's just like, okay, James, uh, whatever you say. So yeah, if, if it was sort of a, a, a twist that Star-Lord will return, then, um, you know, w- w- again, it's like, what's Kevin Feige going to say? It's just sort of like, oh, okay, James. Um, that's fine. I guess, I guess we'll put that in too. James is like, great. See you later. Gotta go. Going down the street. I want to shift to talking about Rocket because I think the counterpoint to Star-Lord will return because that's a very Star-Lord centric that makes the movie seem more Star-Lord centric than it actually is, I think. And like, I think Rocket is very clearly the main character. Lila literally says, this was your story all along. You just didn't know it. And I feel like to me, that screamed meta commentary where that's James Gunn talking to us being like, you thought this was about Chris Pratt as Star-Lord. That was cute. All along, I, my heart belongs to Rocket, and this is this is my time to to let him shine. Um, which Rocket Rocket Raccoon has always been my favorite Guardian, and so what were your thoughts on? Were you surprised with how center stage Rocket was? Um, you know, I I have a couple of just Rocket related questions. So you can jump around to any of them that are in here, but like you know how how did how did you feel about the flashbacks? I kept going back and forth to being like, is this an origin story? Is this a backstory? Is this a passing of the mantle, right? Because we end the movie with Rocket being in charge of the Guardians. So like, what? yeah, give me your thoughts on on Rocket and his role in all this. I agree with you about Rocket. I, he, he's he been my favorite Guardian. Well, maybe Groot. I think Groot, I think Groot, it's, it's a tie because they're sort of tied together anyway. I love, I love their dynamic from the, from the very start and all the way through this movie. Um, I, it's a, another pleasant surprise that this is such a Rocket centric uh, movie because of that reason i just enjoy you know bradley cooper just kills it with his voice some of my favorite scenes in infinity war involve rocket he, he's there and even in endgame too like that's scene where he's sitting on the uh, stairs of the spaceship with nebula and he's just sort of like he just puts sort of puts his hand on her hand um the the story arc for him has been amazing and i'm so glad that he was at the heart of this movie um James Gunn tweeted, I think the day that it came out, so I did not read it that day. I went back and did a lot of tweet reading on on Sunday after I saw it, but he talked about how Rocket's story is his story. So really not too much of a surprise that he had such a, a, a big part of Gunn's farewell to the MCU, right? Um, I will say, though, that the origin story, the flashbacks so hard to watch that was so hard to watch and you brought it up um jen about the violence the 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 animal stuff the violence which a lot of times i noticed see it seemed that they were not shooting like blaster type of guns but actual gun type of guns right they acted like guns and you know i'm I'm star wars fan i'm used to seeing space people shoot blaster red or green bolts and they go pew 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 no these were going bang 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 right and it was pretty violent so uh you know that's not really a rocket centric thing but going back to the animal treatment and even just the way that you know the grotesque imagery that we saw in that 
it didn't take me out of it. I understood. I understand that that's part of it, but I can imagine that there were lots and lots of people out there that, that could have been very triggered by a lot of those images. Um, but, oh, and then go forward in the story where they killed his friends. They, mm-hmm. they killed his friends. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the theater going, okay, you're making a lot of sense to me now, Rocket. A lot, what we saw in volume one, what we see in volume two, that hard outer shell through end game and through infinity war. Okay. This is filling in a lot of blanks for you, buddy. And I just wanted to like go up onto the screen and hug him. So when he got that hug from star Lord and from Groot was just such a wonderful image to see because that's what I wanted to do for him. Um, but yeah, he he is the heart. If you go back, I I, I want to go back now and rewatch these characters through these stories that they've told us, looking through the lenses now that we have after this movie, and just sort of pick up on things that James Gunn probably hid for us that didn't make any sense until now. And that's this brilliant storytelling, right? And I also want to go back and watch this movie through the lens that PT you just described with James Gunn sort of flipping the bird to to everybody as he's making this movie because there's a, you know, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to drop the first F bomb in MCU. Not you, Deadpool. No, no, no. It's not going to be you, Deadpool. It's not going to be you, uh, Wolverine. It's going to be Peter Quill of all people." And talking about a car door of all things. <laughs> about a car door yeah ridiculous but the most the most banal possible thing they could be discussing yes very very good placement of their one f-bomb in a pg-13 movie right they get one so um yeah rocket uh, this was you know i wanted it to say rocket raccoon will return at the end that's that's what i wanted it to say and nothing against star lord he's great i love him but I, i i want more rocket give me more rocket I, I agree with both of you that Rocket's the best. Uh, and I, I do sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe it's Groot, but it's like, it's Rocket. And because Groot exists in, in his best way with Rocket there. So like, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, this sort of played out, I guess, with uh, uh, some of Endgame where it's like, yeah, if you have Rocket on his own, it's still really good. But um, I sort of feel like that first post credit scene where he is now the leader's the leader of the new uh, Guardians was an implicit promise that Rocket will return. That you know, when if nothing else, when they get to what's the next Avengers movie? Secret Wars is that is that the one that's supposed to come down the road? I forget the name of it, but you know, there's the Kang Dynasty. The one there's going to be one before an Avengers film before Secret Wars. It's the Kang Dynasty. Well, maybe D- depending how they feel about Kang. A little TBD. Um, yes, the, the answer to that is also might be the answer to when Loki season two comes out. Um, but uh, the, yeah, but like I just am fully assuming those characters, whatever, five, six characters, I think if we include the little L- loath cat, which I know that's not what it is, but I was kept thinking that's a loath cat. Um, it really did look like it. <laughs> um, you know, that, that will be back. So Rocket will will return when, when we are back in the cosmos, when the rest of the MCU connects with it. Um in terms of thank you PT because that made me feel much yeah, better I, I, that I didn't get my title card there that I feel better now yeah I mean it's it's he's the captain now he's the captain you gotta you gotta defer to him um, but uh, yeah I the the in, in terms of the um, the, the sort of flashback scenes the the rocket in his youth um, I'm try- I'll, I'll go with it. I'll say this first is that the first one of those, when they first are like, he's in the cage and he's hurt 
and he starts talking to the other people. I was obviously like a wreck. Like I'm devastated by what is happening and and the things that I'm seeing. But that was also the only time in the movie where I was just sort of like, I don't like what you're doing. And I don't, I, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Like it felt manipulative in that moment. I think the story evolved mm-hmm. so well that I didn't feel that way by the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, and maybe that was- but you resented. The, you resented it. At first, you know, it, it was that sort of, uh, this is, uh, my my thinking on it is always, uh, I always go to the movie The Notebook, which I know is beloved by many people, but like, that's a movie I like, I've only seen it a couple times when I watch it, I'm crying at the end, but I'm also like, I, I don't like you. I don't respect you for what you've done to me here. <laughs> like you did it and like, you got, you got the result, but I don't respect you. Um, and so I was like, they're going to make these animals real sad and they're, it's going to be, they're going to be tortured and they're going to make me sad. And I, and I can't respect you for pulling my heartstrings like that. It's so cheap. Um, but it's not, it's more than that. And they, they evolve it and it's so good. And it still got me like, so hard. Um, and I think that all of that pays off both in terms of what Colby was saying of how we see Rocket's character through, you know, leading up to this movie and like the sort of how like uh, it explains so much, but it also is why I was in the moment like, yeah, Rocket's going to die. Like this, he is going to go, he's going to join his friends. It's the only way, like all of that was to be like, yeah, I can be happy that he, that this character I love is going to die because he gets to go spend time with his friends again. So like that was when like I was fully, I had let him go. I was like, okay. And, until the, like, you know, there was the moment of like, you know, but not now or not yet. Um, and then I was like, let's go. He's coming back. Um, so though, then I, I was able to get pumped. Um, and you know, so I, I, I think oh, go ahead. it was very gladiator. That moment. Yes. Um, yeah, there's also some like there's some degree of like the professional wrestling where it's like the hand flops down once, the hand flops down twice, the third time it's like no, it's still strength and he's ready to go. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I I think that you know it, it needed to be that like it needed to have to pack that, but it didn't need to. But I feel like it it, it benefits the movie that it packs that punch that it is so visceral and it it's so painful um to both sort of see what's happened to these animals and also like fall in love with each of them as these like innocent creatures and then see what happens to them um because it also reinforces uh this bad guy who's maybe one of the best bad guys that we've had in marvel um for like i think lots of different reasons but one of them is just sort of like you know it's it is kind of a shortcut but it's just sort of like what what a jerk, like just what a terrible, absolute monster. And it's just sort of like, yeah. And then if you described it of like, and then uh, at one point in the flashbacks, we see that his full, his full face gets clawed off. And at the end of the movie, you see what that looks like um, when they peel his fake nice face away. And uh, when you see this terrible injuries experience, all you think is good. Like, it's like, <laughs> yes, I'm so glad this happened to the des- you. The design of that was so clever because the whole movie I was sort of thinking about, there's got to be something going on with these like seams, like the the wrinkles on the side of his face. Like, and then I think it actually, it actually did dawn on me before we got to that fla- part of the flashbacks. Cause, and I clicked and I was like, oh no, are they going to do that? And then they did. So, um, you know, I felt very vindicated with that. There's so many, I feel like I, as you're talking, I had so many different thoughts to respond to but i think the the one line that unlocks because you're spending a lot of time talking about the the flashbacks in the story of rocket and his friends and and how they're they're really being abused and exploited 
for me, the line that really unlocks it is actually at the end when Rocket says to the, the high evolutionary, it's not that you wanted to make things better. It's that you weren't happy with the way things were. like you weren't okay with how people were right. Like, mm-hmm. like basically it becomes yeah. to me, there was this huge subtext for, for their relationship of, of acceptance, right. That he, he was like rocket as he was as a raccoon was not like he, he wasn't, he didn't accept him that way. And so he, with all these creatures, right. So then he has to kind of like get in there and interfere and try to quote unquote, make them better. But really he's just sort of like, you know, twisting and morphing kind of who they actually are. And so, so for me, that was really what unlocked the like justified why we had to go through all of that and see all of the friends and, and, you know, justice for floor. Like he just was, he just, uh, I think he was probably, he was the toughest one for me because I feel like his, his cybernetics were probably the most grotesque, um, out of all of them. Um, but yeah, to me, that was the thing that, that kind of made it not okay from like, like I wasn't okay, but made it from a storytelling perspective, okay, like okay for them to to have manipulated us in that way. Yeah, I agree. The other line I want to point out um, from sort of not flashback, but you know, the, the, the present of the movie, um, which I think also speaks to the like, this was always your story, um, is, you know, when he has like the, the high evolutionaries down on the ground. And it's just sort of like, you know, I forget who else is just sort of like, oh, you're not going to like shoot him in the head, which is just like, shoot him in the head, shoot him in the head. Like I was ready um, to do it. And he's just like, no, cause I'm a guardian of the galaxy. Like, you know, it's like, that's not the rules and we follow some rules and that's it. But it's like, that is also kind of like, this is what they've, all these people have been doing is like not only finding each other and, and by then through their sort of connections and found family finding themselves, but also sort of committing to doing something beyond whatever might be what they immediately want. Um, and it's like, you know, they have this sort of higher purpose. Uh, and so he has to adhere to that, even though it's obviously not what he wants to do in his heart. Um, but he's like, I, I'm going to let, I got to let this guy live temporarily. Then he blows up. Like, I think like, you know, a few minutes later, um, but he doesn't kill him with his own hands. It's the, you know, uh, eventual explosion of the ship kills him. You can juxtapose that against the scene in infinity war where right in the beginning, when they find Thor right before he smashes into their windshield, they're flying. Right. And somebody asks, and I, and I'm sorry, I'll butcher the scene, but somebody asks like, what are we going to do here? Oh, we're going to help so-and-so. And And rocket's like, and then we're going to take their ship. (laughs) And he's like, no, we're going to not going to take their ship. We're just going to help them. And then he just sort of looks at me. He's just like, like star Lord just sort of gives him the, the nod. Right. So, you know, okay. Rocket's on board. We're going to help these people, but we're going to take something from them. And here he is. He has a chance to dole out the ultimate revenge. And that's a, it's a very, very much a different decision he makes. Yeah. I think that the brilliant thing about this film is that we can trace that trajectory for each and every guardian, right. Where it's like Drax was when we meet him originally, right? He he's in kill mode, right? Like he's like about to throttle every person he meets because he has so much pain from losing his wife and his daughter. And so then to come f- to see how far he's come where he then finds peace by like, you know, bonding with all of these 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 children who need uh, like a fa- like a well, I don't know if I'd call him a father figure. He's probably more like a cool uncle figure <laughs> to them. Um, but like you know, like it, it, it like the, it really is beautiful. And the same thing with 
with Nebula, right? Like to think about how, how the way she is. And they talk about this in the film, right? Where, where she is more like Gamora 2.0 in this movie. She was that way when we first met her, but that she now is so caring and, and looks out for everybody almost like at the beginning of the movie, they sort of position her as like the responsible one, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're like, well, what are you going to do about Peter drinking too much? And she's like, why is it my responsibility? (laughs) Um, So yeah. And I feel like every single character has that very, very clear arc. And if we go back to rocket, like this movie doesn't work if those seeds have not been planted in, in volume one and two, Mm -hmm. right? Like if we don't have the references of rocket cryptically being like, you don't know what I've been through like and ref- referencing obtusely what has happened to him, but we don't actually get the full story until now. I feel like that's what really makes it work because it brings me back to kind of like all the moments that we've had with the character. And then this, and then it becomes this like climactic moment when we finally get the backstory and the guardians are, are kind of right there with us. Right. Like I really like that where their reaction of like, we had no idea until they're watching his file. Um, I mm-hmm. thought that was really great moment because that's sort of what we're going through as the audience but they're also sort of like they didn't know how deep his trauma went well and his absolute denial for three movies plus some more that i am not a raccoon i am not a raccoon i am not a raccoon and then he comes back from his heavenly halfway house with lila and he's like i'm a raccoon i mean and and i think you know that's that the heart of the movie is that you find who you are and you find a way to love that and then you're going to thrive because of that, right? And that was a beautiful way of illustrating it. And again, that goes back to the very first movie, right? He's always had those issues about what he is. Well, now he's to the point where he has accepted what he is. It's beautiful. Yeah. And we, we see all that forming in the flashbacks, right? The high evolutionary is the one who instilled that sense of self-loathing, that he's an abomination, that he's a monster, mm-hmm. right? And he's carried that with him through the entire trilogy, and so now for him to kind of really confront that and to be like, no, I am both Rocket Raccoon, but I also reject that you made me this way, right? Like, like it's, it's yeah, it's like he accepts mm-hmm. himself yep. for who he is and all of his flaws. And they all do. And that's like the, that's what the, the, the unique magic of Guardians of the Galaxy is that they're all hot messes. Uh, <laughs> and, and yet they, like, the work of the films is for them to kind of learn to accept each other as hot mm-hmm. messes and to, like, embrace their different strengths and weaknesses and all that. And, and what's also fascinating about the choices made here, especially in the end, in the wrap-up, when uh, Colby said it earlier, how you know, there's how good and strong the ending is, is that each of them take steps uh, you know, however big uh, they may be, or some are bigger than others, I guess I should say, uh, you know, to accepting themselves more. Uh, and they only got to do that because of their group, because of them being together. But at the end, it, that also is why the group breaks up. Uh, and again, it's not because of animosity and it's not because of any sort of negativity. And there's, you know, there's some degree of like, oh, like, you know, we're not going to see each other. It's like, but we, you know, that doesn't mean we don't care about each other. It doesn't mean... Uh, you know, that it doesn't mean that you need to walk back any of that personal growth and acceptance that you've achieved or that you want to, you're going to go and work on. Um, but, you know, it, you know, that does also mean sometimes the end of things. And I, you know, I don't, I think that was very sophisticated and mature emotionally for a, a goofy space comic book movie. <laughs> All right. So we've gone too long without talking about the music in this movie, I think. 
do you have favorite needle drops? Do you do you have any thoughts about how the type of music in this movie is sort of shifting a little bit? Or not a little bit, actually a lot from the previous two, um, mostly chronologically. But um, yeah, what did what did you what did you think about the the you know proprietary like proprietary or signature James Gunn soundtrack? The beginning and the end for me. It, the beginning with that acoustic version of "Creep" from Radiohead, I just I thought is so perfect. Not only establishing the tone, but also you're inside Rocket's head from the beginning. He's the one that chose that track, right? Because uh, he puts that on the little Zoom thing, and, and he's putting it through the speakers. Or I think it, maybe at that point he's just listening to it. But um, I'm a sucker for any acoustic version of a, of a song, mm-hmm. right? So this was such a great one. And the way to start out the film really showed us where Rocket was before Adam Warlock showed up. And he's, I hate to say it, but like if you want a really good self-loathing song, listen to creep by radiohead <laughs> right because that's going to get you where it counts and that's where he's at he's there and then by the end of the the movie on nowhere he's also the one that chooses the track before everybody goes their separate ways and it's the dog days are over by florence and the machine and i wanted to jump up and start dancing in the audience with with the characters on the screen because the pure joy of that scene was just i felt like i got the most emotional during that scene that elicited such joy at the end. And then they ended off with Drax, who we all know is not a dancer, doesn't want anything to do with dancing and will stop people from dancing. And even he gets over that and just starts doing whatever he wanted to call was dancing, dancing boy. It was, it was just a beautiful culmination. And then uh, I believe it, I, I think it was the last musical choice that I'll bring up is during the post credit scene when rocket puts it back to the beginning and he plays hooked on, uh, was it um, come and get your love? I can't even remember the yeah. name of it. Yeah. And to, to have it, you know, he's now in his new iteration of the, uh, the galaxy, the guardians of the galaxy, but he's bringing that, that heritage, if you will, with him and bringing it to the new group. Just man, James Gunn. One of you said it before and I'll just echo it. Bring on the DCU because I'm more excited now about the DCU after seeing this movie than I was before. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's really a master of of it uh, in a way. It's like, I mean, obviously very different uh, uh, vibes than Tarantino, but that same sort of just like mixtape master uh, and able to sort of uh, tap into, uh, you know, how these songs will make people feel um, while also, you know, the, the managing the tale of uh, now across three movies uh and you know to some degree the offshoots too but really the three main movies that like these songs are here and these songs are so important because of peter quill's mom like that like plays so well like that like you know there's there it, it was interesting you know i i love that they built on the zune um payoff uh or or whatever the zune setup i guess they paid off the zune setup from uh, the end of volume two. Um, so it's like, now you can have movies up to when the Zune came out or sorry, music up to when the Zune came out. So you have nineties and you have two thousands um, and that's great. Um, but it's still the sort of like the fact that um, Star-Lord and by extension, you know, everyone else in this group and by extension, everyone on this celestial skull, um, you know, all sort of have to deal with essentially like his mom's musical tastes um, is like wonderful. So every time one of those songs starts, if there's any kind of 
uh, I don't know, like inkling of just sort of like, that's kind of a, we like, we're doing another Beastie Boys song. Okay. Like we always have Beastie Boys songs, but like, it just, it tracks so well with the, what's happened within the story. Um, the, uh, and I can't remember the, the term and maybe Jen does for as a diegetic versus non-diegetic. There's, there's diegetic reasons for why, um, you know, why the, all these songs are there in the movie. Um, so uh, the ones I was going to say are exactly the ones that Colby said. So instead I'll just note that when uh, in that post credit scene, when they're having uh, the conversation of like, quick, like who's your favorite artist? And they're all naming people. Uh, Adam Warlock um, mentions an art and prog rock guy. That's like one of my guys, Adrian Ballou, both solo and King Crimson, which was both um, awesome and devastating given um, Adam Warlock's character and how he's like just a big dumb baby. So I was just sort of like, Great. <laughs> like that's, that's good. That that's a fair, that's a fair, it's a fair cop. You got me. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like, the so so to clarify what you asked me about uh, a second ago, uh, the film shifts from a dia uh, diegetic sound or music to non diegetic, and actually very frequently, where it's like mm -hmm. because like Rocket will have or Peter will have the the headphones in, and it'll be kind of that like muffled sort of version of the song, and then you know once like a big action moment hits or something like that, then it like blows up open, and it could I mean technically it still could be playing diegetically in the scene, but the way that the the sound changes, it then becomes kind of like the the version of the song that's layered onto the scene as opposed to like you know playing somewhere in the scene. So I noticed that happening way more actually, and like, granted I haven't seen volume one and two super recently um but to me that it felt like there was a lot more shots of characters listening to music than just the music yeah. like just the needle drops like non-diegetically yeah. so i really like that because i think it really brings it back to the, the roots like a lot of the things that i loved about this film were like very earnest callbacks to like why people fell in love with this this branch of the mcu to begin with where and like the music is a huge part of that right that's what really makes it stand out i i, I put on the guardians of the galaxy mixtape playlist just randomly all the time right mm -hmm. like it's just really good yep. like like i wish i could have gotten james gunn to like dj my wedding or something like that. you know what i mean like he's it's he's he's got it he's good um he, you know he should he should be using his talents for better purposes and he will um well, if Lucasfilm but, is listening, maybe they can tell James Gunn to listen, and then he can make playlists for us. Just send them over, longtakereview.substack.com. You'd probably do it. All right. So I want to kind of, you know, for the sake of time, jump right to sort of like, the where do we place this in the larger context of the MCU? So like, how does this compare to the other Guardians films? How does this compare to other MCU films. Like I'm not asking for a formal ranking uh, necessarily, but like, you know, roughly where does this film fall kind of in, in the pantheon of, of Marvel movies? Well, I'll, I'll say, and I, I'm not going to say that like, this is an unpopular opinion, but I don't know if it's a commonly held opinion. The first guardians movie is my favorite Marvel movie, like easily, like without any, any real comp The only real competition is the first Avengers movies. Cause those are the two that I just had the most joyous experience watching them in the theater at like the real, like the, the realization of like this translation of comic books to, uh, and I'm not, wasn't like, I didn't grow up like a huge comic book head, but just the idea of this sort of genre movies being done so well and so successfully. Um, so 
it's not better than that because I love the first Guardians movie. Um, and I really love volume two. It, it's hard for me to to say anything bad about a movie um, so prominently featuring Kurt Russell. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I would think if I went back and rewatched all of them, I, I think I might like three a little more than two. Um, but provisionally, I'm going to put it three and third only because I don't want to sh- give two short shrift because I did really like that movie as well. But my guess is, you know, after a couple of viewings of sort of all three of them as a being of a piece, um, I think three pushes up over two. I agree with you. I agree with you completely. One for, for me, I am going to put three ahead of two, just number one for recency bias and number two, um, I remember watching, I, I believe I've only watched volume two once. Uh, I don't think I've rewatched it, even though it hit, you know, Disney plus and whatnot. Uh, and I, and I remember enjoying it lots to like, but it wasn't something that just called me back, but the guardian, the first guardians movie did. And I can see this one doing the same thing. So that's sort of like, that's my sliding scale of, of where movies go is how much do, how much time, how much does it stay with me throughout the, f- the few days after, you know, do I find myself drifting off and thinking about a scene or a line? I'm doing that with this movie. I don't, I didn't necessarily do that with the second one. And that's not a critique at all against that one. So I would go with, um, Guardians 1, then 3, then 2. Although, I really love seeing the Guardians interacting with all the other characters through MC, through in Infinity War and Endgame. So, it's I mean, it's Infinity War and Endgame. So, I would probably watch those movies just for the Guardians interaction before I watched any of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but that's just me. Um, and again, it's not a critique against any of these movies because they're, they're tremendous fun. Uh, but yeah, I love watching, you know, the, the Groot and, and Rocket and Thor scenes in Infinity War. I love uh, what's the scene where um, <laughs> Tony Stark calls Rocket Build-A-Bear. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. Okay. These the, Just seeing these characters in, inserted into those other characters is just a joy for me. So yeah, but um, just a great, great strong performance for the volume three. And I would put it second to the first one. I will say also that this is my, this is, I'm sorry, Jen, but this is my favorite movie since No Way Home. If we're talking about the larger mm-hmm. MCU, mm-hmm. Um, this is my favorite movie since no, no Way Home. So, you know, if we're going to put, you know, all these in categories, you know, you've got your Civil Wars and your End Games and your Black Panthers at like the, the peak. And then you've got your Winter Soldiers, Ragnarok, sort of second level, Ultron, Thor 2, Iron Man 3 as a third level. And then sort of like all of Phase 4. like right um this one definitely for me goes in that second second level category Mm. right there is just very strong very enjoyable you know ragnarok level in my opinion and i you know i think ragnarok was fantastic if we discount um, the marvel sony movies right like if they don't count in the running is this your favorite movie since endgame I'll I'll inc- I'll include the Marvel Sony movies. Like this is better than No Way Home for me, uh, and I liked I had a good time in No Way Home, but I I am very confident. Gar- I mean, again, I just like Guardians of the Galaxy a lot. I mean, I obviously like Spider Man a lot too, but I'm very confident I will want to watch Guardians three more than I want to go back. I want to watch scenes from No Way Home, but I don't know when I'm going to be like I got three hours to spend to watch to watch No Way Home. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I was trying to think how many Marvel movies w- have would I rank better than this after Guardians two, um, and I think it's. I mean, obviously the two Avengers movies. I I would say that's obvious. And Black Panther, 
but like even like like Ragnarok, I'm like, yeah, this is probably on the same level as Ragnarok. Like, I think so, you know, and, and then, you know, no way homes creep in there too, but it's, it's up there. I think, I think it, it probably ends up in my, in my Marvel top 10. I just pulled up my old list. I haven't updated it since Endgame, um, which maybe speaks to where, how I've been feeling about uh, Marvel movies since then, but I haven't updated it. Um, And I had Guardians 2 at number 10 right next to Infinity War. And so I kind of feel like, that's that's you know again that area where it would be lower part lower half of the top 10 for me i don't think volume three could knock the first one out but i feel like that's largely because it's the quote-unquote the one that started it all like i think as a as a first entry into a brand new like very few people even knew who these characters were from the comics right like people were like who are these these heroes like what like the fact that they managed to turn it into what they did, I think is so amazing. So I think it would be hard for me to kind of like take the number one spot of the trilogy from, from the first one. But here's the thing. I feel like my favorite thing about James Gunn is his appreciation for things that are grotesque yet cute. So like my favorite (laughs) part of suicide squad is that like weasel guy. He's the best. (laughs) Um, I want to take him home. He's so great. And and like the conversation I had with my husband John was like, like, yeah, it's like like I love I love that guy. And he, and he was like, he's not cute. And I was like, this is where we do it. right. Like, like, so like I'm like, yes, he is. He's t- he's adorable and hilarious. Um, so so for me, the volume three is like that in spades, right? Where it's like because we get the whole all, like it's like we get so many characters that are kind of like that on both sides right in the flashbacks obviously we have all of rocket's friends they're adorable i love them all and then and then with adam warlock we have like the loath cat knockoff like it's like <laughs> and and you know i didn't i wasn't particularly attached to him in the way that i was like lila and and and, and tisa floor but like he he was he was funny he was cute i like that he was i was appreciated that he was there so yeah, so that's that's sort of what 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 would potentially edge it for me, especially like years from now. Like if I were to rewatch all of them, like this, it might be it might be like sort of to call back our Star Wars Day conversation with Red Cast. Like it might be a Return of the Jedi situation where I'm like, but that one that one's kind of my personal like like I love that one. It's my personal favorite in my heart, but like I acknowledge that it's maybe not the objectively best one. Um, but yeah, so that's what that's sort of where I'm at right now. Does anyone because I kind of want to wrap things up. Does anyone have any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't cover that you thought was really important? Um, the only thing I'll say is it's interesting. We, you, you know, we, we framed uh, the discussion earlier, but like, how does this change the way you're feeling about Marvel? Part of I, I, part of why I, I feel like I this resonated so well and, and I loved it so much was because it didn't feel like it had to be plugged into these other ongoing narratives. It was just the story of the Guardians of the Galaxy, which has is sprawling in its own way. I mean, we have what, like seven, eight, nine main characters that we're following in this movie. But, you know, there wasn't that scene of just like, and here's the new Falcon, like coming in and doing something. Like it didn't have those MCU connections, which are not always a problem. They're not always a bad thing. Um, but it did sort of feel like, you know, both from the location of the story and also the structure of it. It's just sort of off doing its own thing. So whatever the response is to this, it feels like critically 
um, you know, people are, people really reacted well to it. Um, you know, I, I know it's like, it hasn't made quite as much money as people thought it might, but they don't know, like if it's going to have legs, I, I don't know what this really says about Marvel going forward, not just because James Gunn's leaving, um, but because it just did sort of feel like it's off on its own thing, continue closing off a story from what I think think arguably might, you know, started in what might have been the strongest phase, like that sort of second phase of movies when you had Winter Soldier, um, you had uh, uh, Iron Man 3, which I love. Maybe some people don't. I don't know. Um, I think that's one of the strongest Marvel movies. Uh, and then Guardians, uh, you know, that that like run was when it was just like, you know, oh, they're really, they're cooking. They're really like taking, taking the ball and running with it. Um, so it, it does, you know, it, it's interesting. I think people are going to react well to it. I don't know if anyone's going to be like, okay, good. I feel good about the Marvels now. It's just sort of like, do you like, do you feel any differently about that because of what happened here? Um, it just, it felt very independent. That's another million dollar question is this whole where like is Marvel back thing. And I think we've, I think we keep on waiting for it after every movie that drops, right? Like um, Wakanda forever is Marvel back. Uh Ant-Man is Marvel back. Um, I think the answer was no after that. Um, then, you know, we're asking the same question again. And I just, you know, I don't, I'm going to say the same thing that I, that I say to most things, which is just non-committal and say, we'll see <laughs> question mark. We'll see. Um, I'm going to go see them, but Marvel knows that I'm going to go see them. They know that you're going to go see them. And that's the thing is like, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. What your question, Jen was, you know, who does this film uh, appeal to? That's the same question that needs to be asked for the Marvels and so on and so forth. I felt like I agree with you, PT. Uh, so many seeds were planted in phase two and then they were reaped in phase three. I kept telling myself through phase four, like, oh, they're planting seeds again. But this is more like I, I don't I don't I haven't caught on to the strategy yet. And I know we're talking about, you know, the the mad the the multiverse saga, but I don't know what that means. I knew what the infinity stones meant. I knew what and I, and it's not because I read the comics, because I didn't. I knew what because the movies were telling me and they would you know, drop Thanos in a post-credit scene and be like, okay, I'm going to go do this myself now. And like, oh no, that's, that's a big deal. Right. And then little by little, it started to come all together. I just don't see that cohesiveness yet through what we've seen. I've enjoyed so much of it. I'm so glad we have it, but we're calling this the multiverse saga. I just don't know what that means yet. So again, it's a wait and see thing for me. Um, they clearly have a plan. But going back to our first subject, what's the Writers Guild uh, strike going to do to that? Timeframes, quality. Gosh, it's a complicated subject, but that's why we have podcasts so we can talk about it, right? Yes, and this is not this is not the last conversation we're going to have about this. I'm no. almost certain. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think just as as a closing thought, uh, to me, and this is mostly speculation. But I feel like I have been thinking about this and reading about this and listening to other people talk about this a lot since Endgame. But I feel like there was a miscommunication between or a lack of communication between Marvel and the fans where Endgame finished and they were like, phase four has some stuff. And everyone <laughs> kind of... Re <laughs> Sorry, that's like, that was really vague. Um, but the all the fans were like 
great. We're just doing it again. Like the clock has restarted, basically. I think that was everyone's expectation, right? That like, oh, end game finished. Let's just start again from ground zero and do it all again. Because we love that. Don't we want to do it again? Um, whereas I feel like Marvel seems in retrospect seems like they had a different attitude where they're like okay let's take a breather like we just finished end game mm-hmm. we made tons of money great job everybody let's let's take us some time to play around in the sandbox and make the sandbox bigger and like let's do this over here let's do this over here let's not worry about how it's all gonna tightly snap together um in a bigger storyline just yet and sort of let's see what people like and let's see what works and whatever and kind of pick up threads up as they go. At least that's what it seems to me now at this point in the, in the process, right. Where like, cause a lot of things that I remember when I was writing my reviews, I way over speculated about the significance of certain things and like what they, that meant for the future. None of that basically has panned out, right. Like, or there's no evidence. It might still some, something like the, the, the beacon in Shang-Chi could still be very important at some point, I guess. <laughs> Mephisto, he's almost here, Jen. Mephisto's <laughs> almost here. <laughs> right. uh, um, but yeah, so that's that's what I think is the problem. It's just a, it's a perception, reception, communication problem. Um, and it, is that to say that the future is bleak? No, but I do agree that this because because of James Gunn's James uh, his like his, the point he is in his career and what he is doing next. I feel like we can't really use this as a litmus test for anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, again, I don't, this isn't like breaking information or, or amazing analysis, but I think that Marvel trained the Marvel movies or the MCU kind of trained people how to watch the, the movies up to Endgame with the whole infinity saga of just like, and this is how they work and this is how they interconnect and this is how they lead into the next one. Um, and, then Endgame happened and it did sort of feel like there was like, okay, let's explore the space a little bit. And people were like, no, I'm following the crumbs. Like you taught me to do all of these things. Like this is all coming together. There's another big person coming, right? There's some other thing. And I think that uh, it's easy to sort of forget. Yeah. Those initial stage. And I was having this conversation um, uh, the other day with, uh, with a couple of friends about how like that first phase of Marvel movies, like, were they that good? Like, you know, like Iron Man was great. And then it was like, okay, like it kind of depends on, you know, how much did you like that first Thor movie? Like that's the one that I enjoyed the second most after Iron Man. And even then I'm like, ah, you know, it was, you know, I don't know if I would have been like, this is going to be like at least a four movie franchise with crossovers into like three or four other movies. Um, you know, I didn't think that, uh, some people love that first Captain America. Um, but like, you know, there, there's that incredible Hulk, uh, and there's Iron Man two. It's sort of like, uh, I felt like only that, like the, that first Whedon Avengers is when it all started to sort of click into place. So there is maybe some degree of, it would be nice that if we, if we could as audiences extend some grace to them to sort of kind of stumble their way, uh, around, but then it also feels like as a as a company, um, both sort of Marvel and then its its parent company have stretched themselves really thin, trying to get content onto streaming and also do movies, and that's created a bunch of a bunch of problems in many ways. So, yeah, I don't know how that will all be solved, and I think you know this movie isn't the answer, one way or the other. 
You know, and I think something that we cannot leave out of this type of conversation here, which I, I think is is such an interesting conversation to have, we can't have it without talking about the pandemic mm-hmm. because the effects that the pandemic had on all of movies, all of streaming, all of production of anything is absolutely undeniable. And the MCU is is has not escaped that. And you can see the effects of that uh, all over phase four. And I'm not sure that we've really gotten out of that mm. yet maybe guardians i think this one probably was the one that uh, even but even pre-production was was still in in the pandemic but probably the filming and post-production certainly was afterwards but um so much of phase four and the adjustments that marvel had to make on so many fronts affected that so y- you said pt very well as an audience, let's extend some grace. I, I That's the number one thing on the list when I vote yes on that proposition, right? They tried to manage this thing through a pandemic and then add, you brought up streaming, the explosion of hours of content that they then created through the pandemic and post that after that. So I just, I sort of feel like this whole MCU thing is a brand new thing now. You know, maybe fittingly because of after Endgame, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we're all still learning our way. Again, PT, you, you brought the point of we're just going to follow what you told us to follow, and they're like, "No, we've really shifted, and you guys haven't figured this out yet, but you will." So, you know, there's a reason we're sitting here talking about it. Uh, you know, twenty X films into this MCU, I, I still have faith that they're, you know, going to keep entertaining us, keep telling us good stories, and pay off on a lot of these seeds that they're planting again. And I just think as an audience, at some point, I think we're going to catch up. So I have faith. I have faith in it. And even if not all of the movies in phase four and now phase five have worked totally for me, looking back, there are key characters they've introduced that I really like. Yes. And, and so I, and I feel like this film to bring it back to volume three of guardians of the galaxy this film is a testament to when you have good characters that are fully fleshed out and have clear arcs that and can progress and develop in front from movie to movie, right? And that when you put them together, sparks fly. I feel like we can get back to that Avengers Assemble place again. You know, what I mean, I like it, it will look very different, yeah. but I feel like the mm-hmm. the that the magic of hey, wouldn't it be fun to see Kate Bishop? trying to talk to moon Knight, right like like that's hilarious that sounds great to me you know what i mean like i want to see those crossover moments i think and i think that potential is still very much there um and this movie is a good model for that so hopefully even though james gunn is going to be gone they can still sort of like learn a lot of that about what worked for this movie i i know we're we keep being like, this is the last thing to wrap up. Um, but there's something I did think of that I didn't put in the in the document uh, and that I want to throw out there or 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 see what people think about this. D- does this movie in any way change your expectations or or thoughts about the upcoming Superman movie that James Gunn is going to write and direct? Because I feel like for me, I left. It being just like, I think he's going to do a great Superman movie. And I have no idea why. I don't know what happened in this movie. Like, I just, I, that thought came to me. And I was like, nothing in this movie is like a Superman movie. Nothing, you know, there's nothing that like occurred that was like that different. You know what I mean? Like, but I was just sort of like, man, I feel like his and Superman movie could be great. Because that's been the, the, the concern is 
you know, he likes squishy, gross, like the, the, the sort of trauma background of James Gunn, which fits so well with the Guardians and the Suicide Squad. Does that fit with Superman? But there was something about, you know, that the, maybe the emotional through lines uh, and the, the character moments being and arcs being constructed so well, where I was like, oh, that could be really great. Like he could do a, an amazing Superman movie. Am I alone? Did it, it, either of you think about this until just now? I did not. But now that you're saying it, I feel like for me, it's the the earnestness and the sincerity of Guardians that's at its core that I feel like could translate really well to Superman. So if it's like if the world around Superman in this movie that we're going to get is the squishy, weird, googly eyed, like is it like all the James Gunn stuff? But then but then Clark Kent and Superman has that kind of like almost childlike sincerity that we see in 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 care like all of the guardians basically in one form or another you know what i mean like um like you know just take mantis for example who we somehow miraculously did not mention this entire podcast which is a crime against humanity uh because <laughs> she's great um but if we think about mantis as a character right she's both complex but also innocent and sincere and good right like she's you know and i feel like you know i'm not trying to be like mantis is the next superman like that doesn't make any sense but there's there's something there where like that proves to me that james gunn is capable of writing a superman i i just want to say that i, I love mantis so much I so much she one of the biggest laughs in infinity war when jack says what is it when um I will talk about Superman. I promise I'm going somewhere with this, but I have to say this because I bring it up every chance I get. But when they're all on um, uh, Titan and <laughs> Tony Stark looks at them and says, what is it that you do? <laughs> Jax goes, take names. No, what does it say? Kicks names, take ass. <laughs> and Mantis, Mantis is just standing next, next to him, just confidently agreeing. Yes. <laughs> I love Mantis. Um, but I, one of the reasons that I think we, we talked about how we're encouraged, but for the DCU after this movie, I just feel like Superman by proxy is filled in, filled in with that whole feeling. And to go further with that, though, is I think that James Gunn really understands tone. And Jen, you brought it up. The earnestness and the, the heart of the that's at the heart of the Guardians he just blew that up and made a wonderful trilogy. So I think he understands what Superman is and what kind of movie it needs to be. And I think he will expertly blow that up into what it needs to be. Cause he just understands that aspect of filmmaking. I think it's not going to be man of steel. That's all that that's. And I can't believe that's where we're ending, but that's where we're ending. <laughs> um, all right. So we've gone on long enough. This has been an amazing conversation. If you're still with us listening, like, let's hang out. Because if you're <laughs> still, if you're still here, we must be friends. Uh, <laughs> or you're an employee at Lucasfilm. Oh, true. Yes, apparently, um, we've got our we've got our ear to the grindstone for sure. Uh, Colby, you know, thank you so much for for coming on. I knew you're gonna bring your your Marvel A game. This was great. Where, tell us a little bit about the Colby cast and where people can find you. Thank you, Jen. I was so excited when you reached out and asked if I would do this. And, and I, I, I'm so glad that I did. And it's something I, I looked forward to so much. And meeting you, PT, I have a new friend. Very happy about that. So thanks again for having me on. Yeah, the Colby cast um, is a place that I wanted to start talking about all this stuff, honestly. You know, and I, I, I come at things from a fan's perspective. You know, I don't 
have a ton of critic chops uh, on me. I, I will try to get a little bit cerebral sometimes, but most of the time I have my boys on with me, my two adult sons who are in their early 20s, and we talk about stuff that we like to watch. Uh, Marvel and Star Wars are very, very much represented. And we take it like we're sitting on the couch talking to each other like we would in the living room. And I uh, love the fact that they're joining me with this and doing this. Uh, and then when they get too busy, I have wonderful people like yourself, Jen, or, or our friend Greg Cass and you know other friends that I've made along the way. So we just look to have fun. We look to celebrate this fun uh, storytelling really is what it is, whether it's through streaming, television shows, movies, whatnot, and um, we have fun with it. So uh, you can find it on on Twitter. You can find us on um, on all the podcatchers out there, as well as um, Instagram at the Colby Cast, spelled out like my name, C O L B Y. Everything else is is there. So um, yeah, we have a lot of fun. We've cracked a hundred episodes, and if you look down the episode list, you know you'll you, you know you don't know what you're going to find. We've talked about Moon Knight, She Hulk, Miss Marvel. Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, if it's out there, we even talk about, um, uh, I had, I had my dad on at one point. We just talked, talked to my dad for an hour and that was so much fun because he's a great guy. So go check that episode out. But yeah, anything is on the table and we have a blast. So thanks again, Jen. I really appreciate you having me on. No, thank you for coming. And, and I love the Colby cast, like the three of you oftentimes bring such different perspectives. Some of it's multi-generational, some of it's just different you like different things and it's always it's always a joy to listen to uh, so yeah everyone should go check that out pt i feel like i've asked you this so many times i can't think of a fun more fun way to ask you but where where can folks attempt to find you on the internet yeah i mean they they, they can look uh look for me on uh instagram and letterboxd uh at pt mcniff pt mc and i ff I, I I keep saying I'm going to try to be more active and post more, but I'm mostly just reading other people's things, looking at posts, liking them, uh, and uh, just doing things there. But people are welcome to contact me at those places. And you can find me at Subchakchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I, on Instagram, and Gun on Letterboxd. And if you are not already a subscriber to The Long Take, I am almost done I was really trying to get it done before we recorded. Almost done with my Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 review. Been eye out for that. Hopefully I'll have that done by tomorrow. Thank you both again. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. You can follow The Long Take on Substack at thelongtake.substack.com. Subscribe for free to receive reviews of films with Oscar buzz, as well as new films and series from pop franchises like Star Wars and Marvel.